Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline. Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. We're also proud to partner with Sitka Gear. And if you go to sitkagear.com, you'll see their full line of clothing. And their tagline is turning clothing into gear. And they are doing that through advanced technology that allows you to stay in the field longer, hunt harder, and stay safer. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. Um, the, the insider is changing how haunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. And with that, Corey... We are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. All right, Corey, since you are the Idaho resident and I'm the Idaho non-resident, this is going to be a little bit of teacher-student podcast, I think. <laughs> Perfect. You good with that? Yeah, I'm ready to learn. <laughs> right. <laughs> you Just before we got online, you told me you were doing your applications today. You've already done your family's applications, so... 
I was hoping you'd kind of send me a photocopy of what you got there and I could just piggyback. Perfect. Now, I was hoping that you would teach me what I need to be applying for in my own state because I never draw a tag here. Oh, you don't? I don't, but I, I use Idaho applications as, you know, I, I go for like the best hunts in the state, knowing that my odds are incredibly low, but yeah, that, uh, I mean, it, that's the beauty of Idaho and we can definitely dive into it, but you can swing for the fences when you don't draw, you can just go and pick up a tag and go hunt. So it's definitely yeah. a... As a non-resident, I end up using Idaho as almost the same thing. Uh, it's the last state because we've already been through every state what was the last one oregon yep and now june 5th 2019 is the deadline for controlled hunts why do you guys call them controlled hunts everyone else calls them limited entry well idaho's different and say change that (laughs) we don't have a point system there's a lot of things different about idaho so yeah we just decided to call them controlled hunts and yeah. Do because you think Idaho will ever have a point system? I sure hope not. You know, and, and it's come up so many times and, you know, we could, we could dive into that topic just a little bit, but the problem is everybody, you know, Idaho has no point system. So everybody, residents, non-residents are in the same pool mm-hmm. and non-residents are capped at 10%. So they're not guaranteed. There's not a set aside 10% of the tags, but they can receive no more than 10%. So Everyone goes in, there's 500 people in this pool for 10 tags in a great unit. And these poor people who have been putting in for 30 years and have never drawn start thinking, if we had a point system, I could draw that tag. And so especially, yeah. you know, you get some of these rich landowners that live in those units where there's great big elk and the elk are in their fields and they can't hunt them. And they appeal to their buddies who have some influence on the legislature and pretty soon there's a bill attached to a you know pay increase or a budget increase for fish and game and the only way it's going to pass is if they get bonus points because that's going to guarantee them to get a tag and it's just a a slippery slope unfortunately we've been able to fight it every time and and get it turned down so it hasn't shown up but you know i ran i ran uh the accounting side of me ran a whole bunch of scenarios (laughs) of different, you know, draw odds as far as, you know, something that has like a 1% draw odd versus something that has a 20% draw odd. Mm -hmm. And assuming no new people come into the draw, just the the people who had applied last year, some of these hunts are going to take 60 or 70 years to work through if there's like, you know, preference points. And with bonus points, even after 20 years, your odds go from 0.5% to 1.2% draw odds after 20 years. And the, the problem is, is a new hunter getting in 20 years from now that has no points statistically has, yeah, they have no chance even after their 20 years of putting in, their, their chances are still less than the 0.5% it started. So it's just, it's not a good solution. You look at squaring bonus points, you look at a modified or a hybrid bonus preference point system, you look at all of these different scenarios and Honestly, nothing is going to improve your chances of drawing those hard-to-draw hunts. It's just they're hard to draw. Yeah. Well, I tell people that we can either fight over a smaller and smaller pie with some sort of elaborate point scheme, or we can focus on putting more elk in the hills. Yep. And that, uh, as far as the amount of effort put out and the money invested, if we spent that same amount of money and effort putting more elk in the hills, we would have 
a better result Absolutely. in the long run. Everyone's draw odds would be incrementally better as the herds grew better. Yep. So I, I'm glad that Idaho does not have a point system. Um, I was at the Elk Foundation every three years. They host what's called the Elk Summit. They invite the directors of the fishing game agencies to come and just talk for two days about what the elk issues are in their state. And to the right of me, as the nameplates were set out, was your director in Idaho. And uh, I asked him what the stomach was among hunters in Idaho. Uh, I didn't want to put him on the spot, obviously, and say, <laughs> what's your personal opinion? Uh, but he said, you know, our rank and file hunter, the majority of the comments we get, they have no stomach, no interest in a point system. Yeah. So, uh, and we had a discussion similar to what you and I just had there. Uh, and having sat on the Montana system, when we put it together, I was on that committee and they brought people in to show us just what you said, where you have low numbers of tags, point systems really do not do you any good. You can't move enough people through the system to make a difference. Yep. And in that presentation, if I remember right, they said something about if you can move people through that system every four to five years, then these point systems seem to be working. Absolutely. And that's what I found was any of the hunts that had like a 20% draw odd or more. So one in five chance, which goes, you know, basically mm -hmm. five years, you're moving through it and recycling, they work. And yeah. they do increase your odds. And, you know, if in a bonus point system, you're never guaranteed. In a preference nope. point system, you are. But the problem with preference, but you look at any state that has preference points, Colorado, Oregon, you know, any of those states, mm -hmm. and their point creep is just a factor. It, it's just a natural yeah. thing that comes with preference points. You're going to increase every year. And that just puts those tags farther and farther out of reach. Yeah. And you look at Wyoming now, they have non-residents where 75% of the tags are on a point, uh, preference point system. Yep. Look at the point creep in Wyoming. Yeah. It's a perfect illustration. They're just 20 years behind the curve or 18 years behind the curve of Colorado, yep. but it's the same exact pattern. If you have high demand, point systems are not going to solve your problem. Yep. And you look so. at the general tag in Wyoming which for a non-resident you have to apply for and draw, they're, you know, I forget what the odds are, but it's somewhere around 50%, we'll say. That works, and it hasn't really, it's changed a little bit because a number of people have changed, but there's not a point creep there because it does cycle through. Rather, you know, within two years, you're guaranteed to draw a general tag in Wyoming pretty much, and it cycles through those. But you get into, you know, Unit 7 tag or something like that in Wyoming, and it just every year it goes up one point on how many points it takes to draw it. And so it's, yeah, yeah. we're uh, New Mexico and Idaho are the only holdouts in the West that don't have a point system and we'll fight it. In fact, it's that issue is the only time I've ever used, you know, my social media and my email list to address a political <laughs> issue. <laughs> and I was pretty adamant, you know, I sent out and said, I need help. We need help. Everybody send letters and emails, contact these people. And within two days, you know, the, the bill was removed from, from the uh, legislature. Cool. Well, I, uh, that, that's a good five minute dissertation on yeah. one 
Idaho not having a point system and hopefully never will. One of the ways, tell me if I'm correct, does Idaho have a situation where the the kind of a way they've addressed this complaint, oh, everyone, someone draws every year is, don't they have it where uh, you can't draw the same controlled hunt in back-to-back years? Yeah, in fact, you can't apply for the same species the year after you draw a tag, a controlled tag. So if you draw a controlled elk tag this year, you can't apply for a controlled elk tag next year. So it does, it it makes people sit out if they draw, uh, which again, if you're in a unit that only has 10 tags and there's a thousand people putting in, those 10 (laughs) people sitting out doesn't really help, but it does eliminate the fact of somebody drawing it twice in a row and that being unfair. Yeah, it just takes that one anomaly for people to say, we need a point system, yeah. that's BS, that guy drew two years in a row. Yeah, and I know yeah. Idaho, you know, they've looked at going to a structure where maybe they have a, a quality trophy hunt or, you know, quality hunt, similar to what New Mexico does. If it's a certain draw percentage or lower, it goes into a quality pool, you know, high quality, and then, you know, the mid-range or whatever, and and different mm-hmm. scenarios where on the high quality hunts, if you draw that, you can't put in again for 10 years and different things. But, mm. you know, it just, we sometimes overcomplicate things. <laughs> we do. And I think right now, the way Idaho is, it's pretty simple. It's pretty self-explanatory and, you know, everybody has the same chance. So, yeah, I was no, actually, I, I like it. As I was researching what, what units to apply for, for myself and my children and everything this year, I was out on Go Hunt, and it makes it really nice because the odds, you know, it's it's not complicated. It's yeah. There's 200 people put in. There's 20 tags. You have a 10% chance of drawing, and it just it makes it easy to look through all that and say, okay, here are some higher draw odds. Here are some lower ones. You know, what what fits into my strategy for this year? And that's the nice thing about Idaho. Yeah. Well, for the non-resident. I just mailed them my $154.75 upfront hunting license fee. <laughs> um, and I mail it to them because I'm too much of a tightwad to want to pay the transaction fee by doing it online. Yeah. I, you can do it online, but there's, I'm trying to remember what it is. It's like 3% plus yeah. $5 or you something. You know, and like for that. me as a, as a resident, it's not that bad. It's a couple dollars, but you get a non resident. And if you're looking at, you know, that $154 license and application fees and anything else, it, it definitely adds up. Yeah. So in Idaho, as a non resident, you have to buy that non refundable hunting license to start with, which. For those who have youth hunters in their house, uh, there's also the what they call the junior mentored hunting license, which for a non-resident is thirty-one dollars and seventy-five cents. Um, and if I remember right, that's for ages ten to seventeen. If I remember sure. when my son was doing yep. that, um, so you got to buy that just to be in the draw to to even submit a controlled hunt application. Yep. And then I did not apply for moose this year, so that allows me to apply for deer, elk, and antelope. If somebody listening has applied for moose or goat or sheep, they can't apply for the deer, elk, and antelope draw. Yep. Does that that apply to residents also? It does, yeah. So you have to choose either the trophy species, which are the moose, sheep, and goat, 
or the big game species. And if you apply for moose, sheep, or goat, you can only apply for one of those species. And basically you cannot apply for anything else in Idaho other than, I believe, pronghorn, bear, and any unlimited controlled hunt. So there are a few controlled hunts where they have an unlimited number of tags. They aren't capped, but you have to apply for that hunt, which prevents you from applying for anything else or or buying a tag somewhere else, so. Okay. So the application fee, you got your license, then you got the $14.75 for your controlled hunt fee. Yep, per species. And then you've got a 3% transaction fee plus $3.50 if you do it online. So whatever that total comes up to be. (laughs) Like you said, for non-residents, it's you start looking at it saying, why am I paying all that for residents? It's probably negligible. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's, it's an extra $5 for non-residents. Okay. So, so I, I spilled $5 in coffee this morning, so <laughs> I guess I shouldn't, shouldn't complain too much. Uh, let's see. So then, uh, guys- then if you do draw the tag, it's $416 and 75 cents in Idaho. So when you look at that combination, you know, the 154.75 and then the 416.75 for your license and tag, mm-hmm. Idaho is one of the, the Cheaper. least expensive states to hunt elk. It's $571.50 for the license and tag. Yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't suggest somebody buys the license up front and applies for a controlled hunt hoping to draw that hunt. And then if they don't draw it, not plan to come to Idaho. But yeah. on the flip side, if you're planning to come to Idaho and you know you're going to hunt Idaho over the counter as a backup plan and you're buying the license anyway, you might as well spend the extra $14 and put in for a controlled hunt because you have the same chance as anyone else every year. And then if you do draw, you've got a quality hunt. If you don't draw, you aren't out anything because you're going hunting with an over-the-counter tag anyway. So, Yeah, that's a good point. <clears throat> that really what you're talking about at that point then is just a 14 or $15 raffle ticket. Yep, for exactly. A really high quality hunt. Yep, potentially. There, there are some good hunts in Idaho. Idaho's not known for trophy hunts uh, or for quality hunts for that matter. It's, it's definitely a state of opportunity. But with that being said, there are some pretty incredible hunts in Idaho if you can get lucky and draw that tag. Well, I'm I'm going to be there this year. Perfect. I've got you the just, perfect place for you. Do you? Okay. Yeah. So the other thing, if I come to Idaho, I'm having one of those non-resident wolf tags in my pocket. Absolutely. I, rumor tells me on, on their website that I can buy five of them. <laughs> I'd even <laughs> sell you a couple more. <laughs> if nothing else, <laughs> buying five of them would make me feel like I'm contributing to conservation. Exactly. So. I think uh, I'm looking here at Go Hunt has it all listed at what the fee structure is. I'm looking at it's $31.75 for a wolf tag. Yep. I think every every non-resident should pay that just uh, their civic duty Yeah. to contribute to the cause. So here, here's a couple other things on that topic and along those lines. In Idaho, there is a cap on the total number of non-resident elk tags, and it's 12,815, I think, is the number. And once that cap is met, no more non-resident elk tags are available. Hmm. And it typically is met about the middle of September. So if someone is, is going to hunt over the counter, it's important they buy their tag uh, 
in advance and not take a chance of waiting. And the reason why is on, I believe it's August 1st or August 15th, sometime in August, if there are leftover non-resident tags, residents and non-residents can just go and buy one of those second tags for the non-resident price. Wow. So as for a resident... Non, so, so you as a resident could buy your second one, but you'd have to pay the non-resident fee. Correct. We'd have to pay the $416, but I can literally go out in the elk woods and have two tags for the exact same unit for antlered bull elk in my pocket. Or if I want to hunt, you know, on the border of a zone and hunt one side, I can have a tag for one side and a tag for the other side at the same time. Or I can buy an archery tag and then buy a, a rifle tag for later in the season and go somewhere completely different than... It used to be you could hmm. buy as many non-resident tags as you wanted, so you could potentially shoot <laughs> five elk in the state of Idaho, but they've, they've limited it to just one now, okay. one additional tag. So the reason I mention that is back on the wolf topic, as a non-resident, your elk and deer tag can also be used if you have an elk tag in your pocket and you see a wolf or a bear or a cougar, you mm -hmm. can shoot those animals and put your elk tag on it. Wow. So, I mean, it's an expensive one, but if you're out there and it's like, oh my goodness, there's a wolf right here at 30 yards, I can't not shoot this, it's worth $400, yeah. you can shoot it and potentially go and buy another elk tag and, and continue elk hunting. Yeah, well, even if I couldn't buy another elk tag, <laughs> I'd consider that a worthwhile investment. Yeah. So, just because of the number of days those elk have, fr or those wolves have frustrated me stomping the hills looking for them. That is the truth. <laughs> so, <clears throat> here's the interesting part that I always get a kick out of in Idaho is if you draw a controlled hunt, you have to purchase that license <laughs> or that tag, permit, whatever you want to call it, but before some date. August like 1st. August 1st? Yep. Okay. You have to redeem that tag before August 1st, which means you either have to go and pick it up or purchase it online and have them mail it to you. If you don't, you forfeit that tag on August 1st, and there is no way around. I've had people that have drawn one of the best mule deer tags in the state of Idaho that forgot about that date and called on August 1st and said, I need to get my tag. And they said, oh, we're sorry, you forfeited that tag. You didn't pick it up by the deadline. And then it goes into a <laughs> leftover tag pool, and they have a second draw, which I believe is August 10th, mm -hmm. you know, August 10th through the 15th or something. Is the It's a very short window, but all of those tags that weren't picked up or any that were left over after the first draw go into a second draw, and you apply a second time for those tags. I do that, yeah, but I've yet to draw. The, the odds, they publish the odds you know, on the, on the website, and they're definitely... Very yeah. low, because quite a few people put in for a very now limited number of tags. Yeah. Uh, I can't even imagine drawing some tag that had 2% draw odds <laughs> and then not going and redeeming it in time and losing your tag. But yeah. every year, you look at what's available in the second draw and some of the most high-demand hunts. There, there's one or two tags in, in the second draw. It's like, oh my goodness, somebody did not pick up their tag. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, and some of these units, you know, there's five tags available for the entire hunt, and it is an incredibly high-quality hunt, and there will be one person who didn't pick it up. And, and, you know, maybe there's something came up. Right. But for the most part, I think a lot of people just forget or don't realize you have to have that 
tag purchased and in hand by August 1st. Wow. That's, if you draw folks, hope you're listening to that. Yeah. Don't sit there looking in your mailbox that they're going to mail it to you. <laughs> <clears throat> They'll notify you that you drew, but you have to take one of the steps, either call and pay for it, go online and pay for it, or go to an agency office and buy it, correct? Yep. And that's for residents and non-residents. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what's your archery season dates, Corey? If, so, if I came there, if I was going to use uh, Idaho as my kind of fallback, my over-the-counter option, and I'm going to come and hunt, if I buy an over-the-counter tag, can I hunt the archery season and then come back for the rifle season? So, backing up just a step before we get into that, it's important to understand. So Idaho has, I believe, 95 or 96 units in the state. And units are numbered. They aren't named. They just have a number, for instance, unit 12. And within each, uh, I guess, those units are managed by zone. And so zones mm -hmm. usually are comprised of anywhere from two to five units. And so mm -hmm. a tag is good for a zone. And each zone has completely different management objectives, uh, completely different seasons, completely different structures, tag quotas, all of that. So some zones, you as a non-resident are capped at say 1,500 tags for elk. And those tags are not first controlled, but serve. they're sold on, yep, first come, first serve. So if you wanted to hunt say the sawtooth zone in the state of Idaho as a non-resident, those tags are very limited as far as the, the quota, and they typically sell out within an hour or so of, of when they go on sale. So you have to be kind of on the ball if you're kind of honed in on an area you want to specifically hunt for those areas that are capped. Some areas mm -hmm. are not capped, and they just fall under the general quota for non-resident elk tags. Uh, but I, I believe there's 30 elk zones in the state of Idaho, and each one of them have sometimes completely different seasons, completely different regulation structures. And so your question about if I hunt, you know, pick up an archery tag and I come back and hunt with a rifle, the answer is maybe. Okay. So I'm looking at, I live only two hours away from the Island Park zone, yep. just using that as an example. And that is unit 60, 61, 62, 62A. I would go and look at what those uh, general season structure is for the Island Park Zone. And that would apply to all of those units within the Island Park Zone? Unless there is a note, yes. <laughs> yeah. I know, there's a lot of them that say C note number one, C yep. note number five. And they might say, so. you know, this tag is good for antlered elk in all of the units except this one. But for, yeah. for the... The example you use the Island Park Zone, units 60, 60A, 61, 62, and 62A. If you have that tag, you can hunt uh, any of those units. And here, here's the kind of exception. So there's two different tags in Idaho in each zone. So there's an A tag and a B tag. And typically the A tag is more structured for archery uh, and maybe muzzleloader. And the mm -hmm. B tag is more structured towards a rifle season. Okay. With that being said, for instance, this, the Island Park Zone we're talking about, if you buy the A tag, 
you get to hunt archery in all of those units, all five of those units. You can shoot a cow or a bull from August 30th to September 30th. So that's mm. your, your archery, primary archery tag. But if you have that tag, you can also, if you don't fill your tag in the archery season, you can go back from October 15th to October 28th with a rifle or any weapon and hunt spike elk in mm. all five of those units. And then in November, there's a muzzleloader season for spikes or for cows in unit 61 only that runs from November 11th through December 9th. So that's all in the same mm. tag. So it, it does give you a lot of opportunity with different weapons, but it's focused primarily on archery. You can hunt spikes or cows with, with other weapons in that particular zone. Okay. So if I moved over to, say, the Selway zone or the Beaverhead zone or the Sawtooth zone, those units might have completely different dates and opportunities than what you just listed in the Island Park zone. Absolutely. So the Sawtooth okay. zone, which is units 33, 34, 35, and 36, the A-tag there all that the A-tag is good for is an archery season for bulls or cows, August 30th through September 30th. And that's it. That's all you get to hunt. If you don't fill your tag, then that A-tag is, is no good after that season. Hmm. Additionally, that A-tag is capped at a thousand uh, total tags. And those are first come, first serve. And... Uh, let's see, those go on sale. So in 2019, cap tags go on sale for residents on July 12th and non-residents on May 10th, which is today. Mm -hmm. So today while we're recording this, if you're listening, it's too late. They're probably <laughs> sold out because they sell out incredibly fast. So you can't hunt the sawtooth zone most likely on an A tag. On the B tag there, the only season is an antlered only elk hunt from October 15th through November 8th with any weapon. And that's, that's all. So you don't get to hunt archery at all. You don't get to hunt muzzleloader later. Those are your only two hunts in that zone. Okay. Well, I'm not tough enough to hunt that sawtooth zone. So. <laughs> I've driven by there and I, I've, I, I'm, I'm more of an island park guy. Yeah, island parks filled with grizzly bears and people though. That's all right. I can deal with grizzly bears. I, I mean, I, I, I don't mean that in a way that I'm like some Hugh Glass and going to survive a grizzly attack, but given my options, I think I'm going to hunt Island Park Zone. Plus, it's only two yeah, hours away from my home that right, is where we're true. sitting here, so I'm yeah. kind of spoiled. I you keep are. saying one year I'm going to have a uh, an archery Idaho tag in my pocket to go with my archery Montana tag, and I'm going to hunt the Continental Divide from West Yellowstone all the way to wherever I fill my tag. And then I could be, uh, I, it wouldn't matter what state the elk is standing in. That is true. Yep, and, and, and in Idaho, and, you know, that's kind of what I mentioned. If you get two elk tags, you can hunt two different zones. If you don't, you're restricted. Your tag is only good for that specific geographic zone. Hmm. And the zones are named. So the units are numbered, the zones are named. You know, you'd mentioned the Sawtooth Zone, the Island Park right. Zone, the Selway Zone. They have names, and those named zones consist of a certain number of, of units. 
And they're, they're completely, I mean, it's, it's a good management tool. The fishing game, I think, looks at it and says the capacity for the train and the habitat in this area can hold this many elk. This is our objective. And the season dates, the uh, opportunities for extended seasons with other weapons, all of that is based on those objectives. The downside is it's very confusing. And so you really do have to pick a zone you want to hunt and then kind of hone in on the regulations for that zone. Well, I, I think every state, as they've had to get more and more precise in their management strategies for each area to adapt to whatever changing conditions or land ownership or access or whatever it might be, I don't think there's a state out there that has simplified regulations anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah I guess you just look at, you know, something like Utah, for instance, they do have a, you know, they're, Archery seasons for controlled, for over-the-counter, everything all start on the same date and end on the same date. Um, yeah. You know, and, and they do have some units where you can hunt spike only during, you know, in a controlled unit and different regulations there. But Idaho, every single zone has different regulations and different opportunities. And it's, a, yeah. it's definitely a, a confusing state, which, you know... It, it's not, but it is. If you don't, I guess I'm pretty spoiled because I live here and have <laughs> studied it for so long that for me, it's like, oh yeah, it's, this makes sense. But for somebody from the outside, it's kind of like, holy smokes. So you, even over the counter, you know, you look at um, Wyoming's general tag, Montana's uh, combination license, Colorado's uh, over the counter, Oregon's over the counter. They all start on the same date, end on the same date. You have, you know, this list of units you can hunt. You can bounce all over the state and hunt all these different places. And Idaho, you cannot do that and cannot assume it all starts on the same date or ends on the same date. Yeah. Well, that's all good stuff because there's, there's definitely a lot of opportunity in Idaho. And like I was telling you before we got on the phone, there's a really good chance that because of how, how would I say this? I I was a little bit too full of myself. Uh, <laughs> Overly <laughs> optimistic. The last two years, I've just been creaming it in the drawings. I must have thought I was like the gifted one or something. And so pretty much to this point, I've been applying, a, I, I've raised my standards, if you want to say that, above and beyond what I normally do. Well, now here I am in May, with the only real state ahead of me is Idaho. And by applying for harder to draw tags than I normally do, this just isn't my year. So <laughs> now I'm looking at Idaho saying, hmm, maybe I don't want to swing for the fences in Idaho this year. Maybe I'm just going to block some time out on the calendar and go over and knock on Corey's door and say, uh, hey, if you see a tent out in your front yard, it's mine. So. <laughs> well, and I, I remember on a previous podcast, you had mentioned something about the, you had a, a, something written on the grease board that said year of the elk. And if you mm -hmm. drew everything you were applying for, you were either going to be broke or divorced or something. And yeah, and uh, didn't, sounds like you didn't draw everything you applied for. Sounds like I'm going to stay married. That's well, that's good. <laughs> but and one more year no. of not going broke. <clears throat> yeah, it's they're just you know some years it rolls your way and some year it doesn't. And I it, a lesson to me, even after having done this now, this multi-state carpet bomb the West strategy since 1995. <laughs> every once in a while, 
I got to have that reminder. Guess what, Randy? You're not as lucky as you think you are. Yes, this is still a lottery system. Yeah, but that's one of the good parts about Idaho being late for a guy who applies in a lot of states like I do. Now I've got Idaho pretty much isolated as, okay, here's where I'm sitting this year. Some years I'm, we've got tons of tags and we apply for hunts in Idaho that are less than 1%. Well, this year, I think I'm applying for Idaho tags that have odds of like 20 or 30%. <laughs> Maybe I'll even apply for a cow tag. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess my question to you, what, what dates do you have open? Uh, right now, looking at the calendar, I'm wide open from October 8th until November 4th. Okay. Well, I will, uh, I will do some research here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because on November 4th, this guy... I, I think his name's Corey Jacobson promised me he's going to be in Montana. We are. The state of Montana's lottery was good to us this year, and we drew the non-resident uh, general elk combination license. And so Donnie and I are going to come over, and we are going to eat bacon and eggs every morning that Randy cooks for us, and we're mm-hmm. going to walk up to the monster bull elk that he has tied to the tree. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I would strongly suggest you go watch last year's footage to see how well that went on our Montana general tags last year. (laughs) Uh, And I was going to say, fortunately, I've hunted with you a few times, and I recognize that all of those promises quickly disappear as soon as we show up. But yeah, they become nothing more than empty words, (laughs) hollow promises. And I do have to, you know, at least clear the air that you didn't actually promise those. They were just more of a dreamed up promise that I had hoped I would hear about. Yeah, you showed up and said, oh, I heard this, or you <laughs> didn't you mention that? And all of a sudden that became some implied promise. Yeah, I, mean, I know. Uh, so <clears throat> if I was to look at a map of Utah, or Utah, Idaho, I'm looking at a map of Idaho and I just glanced at the fact that Utah is border. on the south. And <laughs> the highest quality units, is it fair to say that some of the highest quality hunts are going to be those in the southern tier of Utah, extremely hard to draw about a high quality experience? Uh, I would say more on the Nevada border, which is also the south border, but the west half of Idaho on the south side um, is is going to be more tightly managed. So for instance, you know, the Owyhee area, uh, most of those hunts, especially in early season hunt is only going to have five or 10 tags available and a thousand or more people putting in for it. Uh, Unit 54, which is, you know, on the Nevada, Utah, Idaho border down there. Uh, Again, a a trophy quality managed hunt, but very limited in the number of tags. Once you get into the later seasons, you know, you might get a hundred tags for a late October type rifle hunt. Uh, but at that time, all of those units have so much private land that most of the elk end up on the private land, and it's not quite as uh, appealing as it might have been before they went to the private land. So, but yeah, that, mm-hmm. that southern part, you know, obviously Utah and Nevada manage their elk herds for quality, and some yeah. of that spills over into Idaho, and so that part of Idaho is also managed for quality. Yeah. Well, in Montana, we manage for opportunity. So those units bordering Idaho, like the Island Park and Beaverhead (laughs) zones, 
expect elk to be on the dead run when they get to Idaho. Yep. <laughs> and they're probably ra- ramming into the elk that are leaving Idaho on a dead run heading for Montana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of hunting pressure on both sides of the border there. Yeah. <laughs> and there are, so, you know, mixed in the state in different places. There are some, I wouldn't say high quality, but more managed for quality experience than opportunity hunts. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I would say 80% of Idaho has some form of an over-the-counter hunt. And, you know, of the 30 zones, I believe 26 of them offer either an archery or a rifle over-the-counter elk tag. Hmm. Uh, some of them offer both. So wow. a lot of opportunity. Do, 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 yeah. Do, do you have a, a pattern in Idaho similar to, say, Montana, Central Wyoming, or the Front Range of Colorado where private land is a is a big challenge uh, and when the elk move to the lower country. I, I know you guys have a much higher percentage of public land than Montana does, but do you guys have a lot of access issues? We don't for the most part. There are a few, you know, Unit 39, which is right out of Boise. Uh, there's a lot of really good winter habitat there that is on private. And so once the elk do move down, uh, they, they can end up on private. But with that being said, it's not the only winter habitat and it's not the, you know, most of the seasons are going to be before the elk actually migrate and get into those later seasons. So, I mean, realistically, aside from some of the, the quality hunts, like in the Owyhee unit or um, down there in unit 54, some of that, they do have good big chunks of private land that the elk will move to as soon as they get pressured. Uh, but a lot of the units, you know, looking on Go Hunt, at some of the units, they're there, there are several units that are 97% public land. Yeah. And that's a pretty common theme throughout a lot of like elk that. country in Idaho. I really like that. So I'm, I'm looking at the map on the Utah Game and Fish website of what your uh, elk populations are relative to objectives. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the further north you go, <clears throat> the lower uh, or the further from objective uh, some of the units are, the further south you go, you quickly run into units that are at or over objective. Yeah. Is that a good general statement? So looking at that map, so if you're on page 32 of the Idaho Big Game Regulations for 2019 and 2020, you'll notice the whole central part of the state is blue, which is below objective. And the funny thing about that is right in the center of that, like where unit uh, 20 and 20A meet, so the mm-hmm. between the Selway and the Middle Fork zones, that's where they released the first wolves in 1995. Hmm. And there is, I mean, it's, it's blatantly obvious. Looking at this, the epicenter of the wolves is the epicenter of the Idaho elk zones that are below objective. Hmm. And you can see where the wolves have spread, you know, the Lolo zone, the Selway. uh, They're up there with helicopters and poison getting rid of wolves because the elk cannot recover. They're so low. The the number of elk are so low. The number of predators is so high that the elk can't recover. And so they're taking drastic measures to control the wolves to try to help the elk populations where they're so far below objective that, you know, they're they're almost, they were almost at a point where they were going to close elk seasons in there. Um, Elk City Zone, the Middle Fork Zone, the Sawtooth Zone, all heavy wolf-infested 
zones, and then the areas around that are are listed as within objective. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those areas have low lying private land areas where the wolf or the elk can go to get away from the wolves, okay. and so the total populations are within objective, but in the historical elk areas in those zones, um, the elk numbers are definitely down. Okay. Well, <clears throat> that's uh, a trend that's not uh, specific to Idaho either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you look at Montana and Wyoming, there's similar uh, issues. Uh, but, which is why in Montana I'm allowed to have five wolf tags. I buy them, have them in my pocket. Uh, if the opportunity presented, I'd uh, I'd fill a wolf tag. No, oh, absolutely. Uh, and the majority of our take of wolves in Montana is incidental. In other words, elk hunters who happen to have one in their pocket. Yep. So. And same with Idaho. Idaho just passed uh, an extension of the wolf seasons. In fact, many units now are open year round uh, on wow. private land, and almost all of the units extended another month into the spring. And I think it's going to be huge because it used to close on March 30th and all of mm. our turkey and bear and everything opened in April. Mm. And so I think there's going to be some more incidental harvest due to those I people being hunters. out in the field exactly. during a time when the wolf season is now open. So. Hmm. so are there any units where if I swing for the fences or, no, I'm just going to try hit a single this year <laughs> uh, in Idaho, but if somehow... I've, I've hit a, a try to hit a single, but it goes to the second baseman and they throw me out at first. Are there any units where as a second choice, I could possibly pick up an, uh, a cow elk or antlerless tag? Uh, you know, I haven't even looked at that there. I don't think there are very many leftover tags. And so in Idaho, the only chance you have okay. of drawing a second choice hunt is if there were tags left over after the first round. Um, And I don't, I haven't even looked at that because my strategy's always been going for those harder to draw elk hunts, knowing that, and I guess that would be my recommendation for you, is go swing for the fence. You know, swing for the fence on a a controlled elk hunt. And if you don't get it, 80% of the state is open for over the counter. And you can... You know, realistically, if you're looking for a 20 or 30% draw odd hunt uh, for a controlled hunt, it's probably not going to be that much better than just an over-the-counter area that you can find and get away from people. So, yeah. But with that said, there are a lot of antlerless opportunities in Idaho. They're all, for the most part, controlled hunt for rifle and uh, definitely a lot of opportunity there. Okay. Good advice. I'm swinging for the fences. If somehow I still have a gap in my calendar, which it looks like I will, I'm going to buy an over-the-counter non-resident first-come, first-serve Idaho elk tag, and I'll be there on a general tag. Yep. And for the most part, those general rifle seasons open October 15th and run to November 3rd. Uh, So that fits perfectly with your window of open opportunity there. Yeah. What's the limit of grouse in Utah or <laughs> Idaho? What, uh, four, they, they, four per day in four the areas day. that I hunt. So, <clears throat> Well, right there is worth my investment in a non-resident license. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? 
during October, I'm totally fine if you chase grouse because the elk, for the most part, aren't bugling. <laughs> Obviously, we, you know, there was the exception last year on Isaac's hunt when we shot his bull that was screaming mad on October 27th. But for the most part, they're they're not bugling, so I'm okay if you get distracted and wander off chasing a grouse now and then. Cool. Well, the takeaway from Idaho is don't miss the June 5th deadline. And you have to buy your license in advance before you can apply for a controlled hunt. Yep. And if you are, if you know you're coming to Idaho this fall on an over-the-counter hunt, put in for a controlled hunt. You have nothing to lose but the $14 application fee. And you might just get lucky and draw a really good tag. Keeping in mind that non-residents are limited to no more than 10% of the tags. So if it's a unit with 10 tags, you, you know, one non-resident is all that can draw. And there may not be any. There's several times when all 10 of those tags go to residents. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to do, Corey. Okay. <clears throat> but before we let people go, we better let them know that if they want to come and have a good time July 11th through the 14th in Park City, Utah. You yeah. and I are going to be at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation Elk Camp in Park City. We are, but that won't be the reason they're going to have a good time, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're probably right. But, but if they with do that show being up, said, and I, I we, looked at the calendar. They have you and I scheduled for an hour and a half each day, uh, of Friday and Saturday, of doing a live question and answer session. And I was just going to say, we had an opportunity to do that at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous last week, and that was fun. I, I don't know about yeah. anybody who was there participating, but for you and I, it was that mm -hmm. was one of the more enjoyable uh, events that I've been to. So I'm excited for Park City and the opportunity to do that again. So if you have questions, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you have questions that haven't gotten answered yet that you want to uh, ask us, Come to Park City and uh, take part in, what are they calling it? The Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation Elk Camp and Mountain Festival or? Yep. Yeah, so, July 11th through the 14th. Yeah, tons of stuff going on. A bunch of vendors, the Total Archery Challenge, Archery Shoot's going to be there in conjunction with it. There will be all sorts of seminars and live podcast Q&As and cooking demonstration. I mean, it's just kind of like the, the great big elk festival of the year. Yeah. And if they do come to our little session and ask a question, I I hope we can convince our friends at Gerber to give everybody a knife like they did at BHA at that, was, that session. That was and so crazy. And hunting calls <laughs> would uh, give everybody a call. Yeah, you said Gerber was going to be there giving out knives, and I thought, oh, they'll have five or ten that they give out. Every single person who stood up in that hour and a half and asked a question got a Gerber, it was a got vital, a wasn't it? Knife. Vital knife. Yep. And uh, and we had a, yeah. a number of diaphragm elk calls from Rocky Mountain hunting calls that were handed out to those who asked. So yeah, it was uh, definitely worth those people's time to come and ask a question, at least for the gear. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that the answers they got were valuable at all, but... <laughs> uh, it's probably worth what they paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last thing is uh, I was just, before we got on the podcast, I thought I'm going to go out here and see how many projects, access projects, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has done in Idaho. And it's a ton. It is. I, 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 they have a tab on their website, rmef.org. You click on the tab that says conservation, and then it says where we conserve. 
click that and then you can pick each state and I'm just here scrolling through all the projects in Idaho uh, if you want to see where some public access exists uh, that's a good place to see where they exist. Also, Onyx Maps has all these uh, RMEF projects on, as a layer on their app system, so you can see it that way. So if people want to see where their money's going and how much access in elk habitat is improved with that money, uh, I would suggest they go out there and take a peek at it. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned this and not to detract from the topic you're on, but I went to that website. Well, you mentioned it. And the first thing that pops up is Fognac Island in Alaska, <laughs> a 4,000 acre uh, land protection that was destined for public ownership in Alaska to protect elk. So, mm -hmm. And I know you really have this thing about hunting I elk know, in Alaska the last two years. That's... I don't know what it is. I don't know how we're going to get you there, but you. Every oh, time we there. get together, you talk about hunting elk in Alaska. Yeah. Well, this, you know our, our destination elk video project that we're doing, and we did last fall for the first time, and I've we're doing it again this fall, and and uh, for the foreseeable future anyway. But now I'm starting to look at some of these extreme adventure elk hunts, you know, like Alaska and Fjordland and New Zealand and Russia and places that have <laughs> elk that are just, I mean, you see the videos of this and it's like, that is extreme. I mean, Fjordland gets 280 inches of rain a year or something. And, you know, it's true rainforest. You're, you can't see your hand in front of your face in the middle of the day because it's so thick. And, you know, I'm saying all that, saying what is appealing about hunting elk in that? But there's just something, I don't know, mystical about it. Well, <clears throat> if they want to see where the work's been done in any state, and in this case, I pulled up Idaho, uh, that's where you find it, rmef.org. Yep. Uh, and click on that tab, and you'll see where this... 1.2 million of acres, 1.2 million acres of improved elk access has, has happened. And a lot of it's probably in a place someone might be looking to apply or, or hunt in Idaho. So, yeah, and I just did a quick count. There are 40 projects that have been completed in Idaho to improve access. Wow. That's a lot of acres. It is. I didn't, I didn't go through and add up the acres, but it's a lot. Yeah. And our local Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation banquet is coming up next weekend. So, Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, for everybody well, listening, know when your local banquet is and be sure and go and support that. And if you're not a member yeah. of the Elk Foundation, I, uh, you know, I, again, I'd love to hear, and I haven't heard yet. We've been doing the podcast for uh, three weeks short of a year now, and I haven't heard a single person give a any reason, I was going to say a valid reason, but any reason why they're not a member of the Elk Foundation. So spend $35 yeah. to help all of us protect and conserve elk and elk country. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, we're going to slip this one in. Is this going to be a bonus episode? It is. All right. So yeah. this will be an extra one in between our normal bi-weekly uh, release of it. So Yeah, and we've got, we've, we've got a handful here in the hopper coming up that I'm pretty excited about where we actually talk to other people, not just you and I rambling on. We, we brought mm -hmm. in guests who actually know something. So yeah. there, there's going to be actual value added here. 
I believe so. Uh, having sat in on those podcasts, I was taking notes. So uh, we yeah. we should also put together our list for, for the coming summer. See who we can meet up with at Elk Summit or Elk Camp and total archery shoots yeah. and stuff like that. So. so if you're listening to the podcast and, and you have ideas else, for us, shoot us an email. Just go to elktalkpodcast.com and in the contact form, shoot us an email and let us know who you think would be a, an interesting guest or an interesting topic for us to discuss. Yeah. Well, with that, Corey, I'm going to let you go. Okay. I'm sure you got work to do. You, we, you got to figure out where I'm going to draw my Idaho elk tag. <laughs> I have work to do for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks for listening, folks. Yep. We'll catch you on the next one.